The presidential motorcade has just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Got some really exciting news. Hold on to your jock straps for this one. Colorado Senator Michael Bennett said he is very inclined to run for the Democrat nomination for president in 2020. Oh, wait a minute. This just in. Wayne Messon, mayor of Mymar, Florida. He announces he, too, will be running for president in 2020. They're all freaking running. This is going to be the biggest primary season I think we've ever seen. We thought the Republican primary season was insane with 20-plus candidates. We're going to have triple that. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You know, we've covered a lot of presidential candidates. We've covered Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, Beto O'Rourke, Beto Robert Francis O'Rourke. We've also covered Kirsten Gillibrand. You know, we've gone down, Elizabeth Warren, we've gone down the list quite a bit. And as the Democrat field begins to grow some more, we probably need to cover some of the other up-and-comers on the list. Like Mr. Buttigieg. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. In fact, you know what's really funny about that? Somebody actually had the audacity to, to post as an article. This is what it said. This is hilarious to me. They actually said, Buttigieg, or Buttigieg, I guess that's how you pronounce it, is now beating Beto O'Rourke in Google searches. Do you know Why? Because everyone is having to Google his last name to spell it correctly. The guy's last name, B-U-T-T-G-I-E-G. Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Something like that. Who cares? He is going to be our Huckabee where he's going to flame out early. And I'm not using flame because he's a bit of a, you know, he's light in the loafers. He likes him some men's. But he was the one who... He's going to flame out early just because he's going to, you know, he doesn't have the name ID and his stances are pretty lukewarm. He doesn't have much charisma to him. He's going to be the guy who's going to make the rounds real quick. And then eventually everybody's going to forget who he is. And he might win a state. I don't know. He might win a delegate. That's probably going to be about it. But it's interesting because this is the same guy who touted his Christianity and basically said Mike Pence was a fake Christian because, you know, he wasn't continually calling out the president for whom he worked under. You know, because Mike Pence was vice president to Donald Trump, well, then he must not be a good Christian. You know, I, I didn't know that was one of the Beatitudes. You know, be continually critical. Be antagonistic. Be, you know... It's amazing to me. I, I'm... I get continually floored by this insanity by the left. So he put out a video clip where he basically muses about how the Democrats are the party of freedom. Yeah, the party of freedom. And he wants to understand why conservatives have taken this freedom mantra and run with it. They've they've embraced it. He says, you know, I mean, think about it. We're going to get into the video clip here in a second. We're going to break it down because I can break down every single point and show how fraudulent the Democrat Party is to his points. But would a party of freedom be the same party that wants to eliminate your freedom to commute whenever and wherever you want to go by means of transportation that you own, that you possess, that you can operate when you want? The party that wants to relegate you to a train as they eliminate the combustion engine and ground all aircraft because the world's going to end in 12 years, guys. The sky is falling. Oh, my God. We got to do something quick. 12 years. Let's start with banning all straws and Q-tips 
And uh, let's get rid of the combustion engine and farting cows because we have to save the planet. But we're not going to vote for it. Mitch McConnell's going to put it out there on the table and we're going to vote 57 to nothing with 43 of us voting present because that's how much we care. And then we're going to bitch and complain about how he's throwing us under the bus. He's ruining the new Green Deal, the Green New Deal, the World War II front that we're trying to fight against because he put it out for a vote. It was supposed to just be a proposal. It was supposed to be empty promises to make us look more concerned than you. So that's what they're running on. They're running on freedom. He's running on freedom. Buttigieg basically had this to say about freedom and the Democrat Party and conservatives. I don't think we need different values. I believe in the values of this party. That's why I'm doing it. But I do believe we could adjust the way we talk about it just a little bit. And it's one of the reasons why you always hear the word freedom on my lips. We've allowed our conservative friends to get a monopoly on the idea of freedom. What would be the freedom that conservatives have gotten a monopoly on? Would it be the freedom to be able to decide whether or not you must use your talents and conflict with your religious beliefs in deciding whether or not you want to be hired for a ceremony that goes against your religious faith? I don't know. Would it be the freedom to defend yourself with the type of device that you wish to use for your defense of yourself and your family, regardless of how efficient it loads or how scary the device looks? It looks like a weapon of war. The freedom to speak your mind without being ousted from your job, without being ousted from society, without being tarred and feathered on social media, being uh, silenced by a conglomeration of tech companies who have teamed up with a specific political party in order to target and eliminate a specific viewpoint? Would it be that kind of freedom? He goes on to talk about some of these freedoms. Now, they care about freedom, but they care about a very specific kind of freedom. What freedoms would the conservatives specifically care about? Constitutional freedoms? The same constitution that the left is longing to completely recreate because it's a living document. We can just change stuff willy-nilly. Not a big deal. Let's eliminate the Electoral College. Let's lower the voting age to below what's considered an adult. You know, let's get it down to 16. Let's get it down to 12. Maybe get it down to 8. But don't go too low. They might want life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, most importantly, life. They may not want to be executed coming out the womb. You know, let's talk about how they want to hamper one of the original powers of the federal government and one of the functions of the constitutional branch to which they're continually hammering on. Hamstringing national defense, minimizing the ability for the executive branch to enact said protections in addressing the flood of illegal aliens that the left is hoping will just become instant voters and immediate recipients of welfare programs without actually gaining citizenship. All for political gain. But they care about a very specific kind of freedom. Freedom from. Freedom from. That's the progressive talking point. The progressive left is continually sharding on religion as a freedom from. You know, government is freedom from religion. It needs to be agnostic or atheist in, in measure, in nature. You know, that's why they can't pray in public schools anymore. That's why we can't have the Ten Commandments outside of court buildings anymore. In fact, two high-polling presidential candidates, Bernie Sanders and Cory Booker, are continually grilling presidential cabinet nominees and questioning whether or not their religious faith is going to allow them to receive a nomination for the position in which they've been chosen because, I don't know, your Christian beliefs might hinder your way of thinking. Can't have those Christian beliefs... If you're going to work for the atheist government, they are continually tested and continually pushed to proclaim that they would acquiesce to lifestyles that are clearly against their faith when they're in these nomination processes. But, you know, freedom from, that's Buttigieg's thing about conservatives. Freedom from regulation. As though government were the only thing that can make us unfree. Freedom from regulation, as though government were the only thing that could make us unfree? 
Government takes away freedom with its expansion. Government, as it grows and as it seeks power, it has the ability to say no. It knows it has the most power into telling you no. Yes doesn't have much power behind it, but no does. And government has the brute force monopoly. They have the ability to place liens on your bank accounts if you don't comply financially. They have the ability to shut your business down via regulations and disallowance of certain permits and code violations. And then they can use the law enforcement divisions to come down on you if you do not comply. And then he says, we know that your neighbor can make you unfree. All right. But that's not true, is it? We know that your neighbor can make you unfree. Yeah, you know how your neighbor makes you unfree? Your neighbor teams up to make a faux government office, such as a homeowner's association, and then they wield power because power in the hands of somebody who is going to oversee as a collective, which is a government. Now, it may not be an official government Office, it may not be an official government position, but it is government in design. It is power given to somebody to oversee something. Guess what happens? They have the ability to tell you whether or not you got to get your fence fixed, whether or not they like your landscaping. Maybe they don't like that American flag in your front yard. They just aren't a codified government arm. They're a private arm, but they are a government-styled division nonetheless. Now... Turn that into a public government office, a bureaucratic position, a bureaucratic office department. And guess what? They don't need to get your permission if the majority of those who voted for it are against what you want. And then he goes on to say some more ludicrous things. Your cable company can make you unfree. <laughs> your cable company can make you unfree? You know, in many cases, the cable companies were treated as a utility, like power companies. I know they are here in my hometown. In fact, many municipalities have only allowed a small handful of companies, sometimes even choosing a single company as being the ones to be able to offer cable service within the borders of the county or municipality. And that, that leads to the worst services. It leads to high prices it leads to slow innovation because there is no competition. The theory behind it is they don't want a thousand different cable lines being dug into the dirt. You know, the reason why the power company is more of a, of a, of a monopoly and a government entity is because they don't want tons of competing power lines all over the place. So you find, you know, an organization that you can utilize and be able to provide that service to the community But guess what? There's not much competition. Guess what? Your power bills then go up because there's not any sort of market competing force to keep the price in check versus how much it costs versus how much revenue must be generated off of the off of the return on investment. So same thing happens with cable companies. The only complementary option would be to go with a satellite alternative. And a lot of times that leads to intermittent service. Maybe it doesn't have the selection that you could get from the competing cable company. And a lot of times it's equally, if not more expensive in cost. This also, this clampdown on allowing specific certain companies to operate has slowed the growth down for broadband innovation. So internet has now slowed down on on broadband levels. But guess what? It led, in response to that, to an explosive innovation to cellular data and unlimited data packages from cell phone services as a market response. So, although he's cracking a joke in this remark, we can still trace the failures of all of this back to government making things unfree with (laughs) over-regulation. If they're telling you who you ought to marry, your county clerk can make you unfriendly. Oh, he gets thunderous applause for this one. Obviously, he's targeting the Kim Davis situation. You know, telling who you ought to marry, your county clerk can make you unfree. Well, you know, she's now targeted for her freedom. 
her freedom. Yeah, she was an elected uh, commissioner. Or I think she might have been appointed. Either way, she's a public servant, but she has a freedom of religion. And she simply just wanted to abstain from signing those same-sex marriage documents. I mean, she wasn't denying them the ability to get married. And her deputies were allowed to sign on the office's behalf, the department's behalf. The problem is she didn't want her personal signature on that. And a lot of government offices, they have to have their commissioner's signature on there. But the, the courts were willing to go through and allow that to be something that didn't have to be demanded. The courts were willing to acquiesce on that demand. Her deputies would have been able to commit those services and allow those documents to be uh, be said even without her signature on it. But, nope, you're the commissioner, and uh, your approval, because you're a Christian, needs to happen, so you must comply. Yeah, no, uh, no f- infringing upon freedom, no making her unfree. You're not free if you're afraid to start a small business because leaving your job would mean losing your health care. You're not free from starting a small business because leaving your job would mean losing your health care? Remember when Nancy Pelosi said ridiculous things like, ah, you know, you can go out and learn to play the ukulele or hone your pottery skills with this new government-run health care plan. Well, maybe she didn't pick those trades, but she basically said, if you're an artist, maybe you can go out and get, you know, health care now. We see it as an entrepreneurial bill, a bill that says to someone, if you want to be creative and be a musician or whatever, you can leave your work, focus on your talent, your skill, your passion, your aspirations, because you will have health care. You don't have to be job locked. And it's not as though government run health care was where they were going with this all right john gruber he wants to explain he is one of the architects behind it uh, behind all of the details of the obamacare plan he wants to go on to say oh it was bipartisan oh yeah both sides wanted government mandated health care because romney started it but then he follows it up with showing his disdain for the average american citizen do you think that there could be a lasting bipartisan solution to health care coverage for Americans? Uh, yes, I do, and I think it's called Obamacare. Uh, I think that if you look at the history of Obamacare, it was developed as a bipartisan solution. It was proposed first by a Republican governor, Mitt Romney in Massachusetts, and then adopted by Democratic president, and only, really only for political reasons has it been opposed by Republicans. So my hope is that eventually... Uh, the Republican Party will realize that this is a lasting, important solution to health care and that they will, with some small changes, uh, adopt it and support it and that it could be the long-run solution for the country. And I think that the growing popularity of Obamacare as well as the high unpopularity of Republican alternatives seem to make that likely. It's the same thing. Why does it matter? You'll see. And they're both in that past. Because America is too stupid to understand the difference. From the Chicago Tribune, As demand for everything, particularly labor, climbed, Congress passed the Stabilization Act of 1942, which allowed the president to freeze wages and salaries for all the nation's workers. A day after its passage, President FDR issued an executive order invoking these powers, which applied to all forms of direct and indirect remuneration to an employee, including but not limited salaries and wages, as well as bonuses additional compensation, gifts, commissions, fees. But there was an exemption of massive proportions that slipped into a fateful clause. Insurance and pension benefits could grow in a reasonable amount during the freeze. As companies struggled to deal with wartime labor shortages, the wage freeze left them in a serious bind. How could they retain workers if they could not give raises? If they didn't soon realize the allure of fringe benefits, insurance companies pressed that case through marketing campaigns, as historian Jennifer Klein has observed. The Revenue Act of 1942 triggered another rush to enroll employees by health plans by slapping corporations with tax rates of 80 or up to even 90 percent on any profits in excess of pre-war revenue. Congress all but guaranteed a frenzied search for loopholes. Look at that government regulation affected the market again. Employee benefits, according to the new law, could be deducted from profits. 
As an anonymous employer observed in a study published on trends in health insurance, it was a case for paying the money for insurance for their employees or to Uncle Sam in taxes. In 1943, two rulings helped accelerate the movement towards employer-sponsored health insurance. The first was a directive by the Internal Revenue Service that employees did not have to pay taxes on premiums paid by their employers. The second was a decision by the National War Labor Board reaffirming the exemption of fringe benefits from the wage freeze. After the war, a series of administrative and legal rulings kept these incentives in place despite several attempts to reverse them. Again, once government puts something into power, it does not leave. Meanwhile, the number of people enrolled in health insurance plans skyrocketed, with most of the growth driven by corporate group policies. In 1940, only 9.8% of Americans had the same kind of medical insurance. By 1946, the number had grown to just under 30%. Increasingly, labor unions and corporations alike had vested interest in the new system. While union representatives might have preferred universal health care, they accepted political realities. As noted by historian Christy Ford Chapin, they lobbied for preservation of a tax code that, quote, rewarded businesses for purchasing employee benefits and that allowed workers to receive insurance tax-free. When Congress rewrote the tax code in 1954, it preserved the tax subsidies for third-party insurance rather than engage in a battle with employees and employers alike. A decade later, almost 80% of the population had some form of health insurance. Now, you could have gotten on the government exchange if you were mandated to do so. You didn't have to wait until you became elected as a House of Representative member, right? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? And don't try to start a small business and hire more than 50 employees because if they exceed 30 hours a week, you have to provide them insurance due to government intervention. So many revert to hiring double the size of the workforce, but then maintain them at part-time status, just under 29.5 hours a week. That's great for building up the workforce. This is that whole Americans had two jobs. Well, a lot of times... Some of them did have to have two jobs to make any sort of money because they used to have one job until health insurance regulations stepped in and said, well, you might be provided uh, health insurance by your employer if you exceed these hours. And so companies that couldn't handle that cost turned around and said, "Ooh, we can't do that. Let's just double the size of the workforce and cut their hours down and get the same productivity out. And then guess what? It's the evil corporation that's being mean and not keeping people in jobs and giving them health care. Those mean old corporations. Never mind the government regulation that pushed them up against the wall. But, oh, they've got deep pockets. They make all this money. The CEOs fly around. We must shut them down because of that, because they're evil. No one looks at the evil of government intervention or government overregulation. And some might say, well, a small business is defined by being less than 50 employees. Well, what if you were a ma-and-pa restaurant? What happens if you have two locations? It doesn't necessarily mean you're a large corporation, but you got to find a way to comply and still meet the needs of your labor costs. So guess what? You might have 50 employees. You might fall into that definition. We're going to get into more of this just on the other side of the break. Keep it right here. Don't go anywhere. This is Adrian Slade. Adrian Slade. Now, we've been talking about Peter Buttigieg. He is the latest Democrat candidate for president in 2020. He's the guy who attacked Mike Pence over his Christian faith and says, hey, I'm a Christian, too, but I'm a homosexual. And he uh, basically were throwing uh, stones from his glass house at Mike Pence because he was, you know, a vice presidential uh, vice president. And he supports Donald Trump. So he has this video that he put out, and in the video he's got all these little points about how Democrats are the party of freedom and how Republicans have hijacked the liberty idea, the freedom idea, which I don't know how that's even possible. And he's going back to that old school tried and true playbook about how Republicans are fuddy-duddies and mean olds and they're big corporate guys, and that's why they're... uh, thinking they're the party of freedom because they're giving freedom to them, which, of course, all of the big industry people are all leftist, whether it's tech, whether it's energy, whether it's retail, whether whatever the case may be, they all side with the leftist. They all support what the leftists do. 
And when it comes down to personal freedom, we've laid out how the Democrats have not only trampled on personal freedom, but every single one of the bullet points that Peter Buttigieg is trying to say the Democrats are for, we have shown with every single bullet point of his video how government regulation has stepped in and messed all that up. And the right, or at least some of the right, at least the wing that I'm aligned with, whether that be the Federalist Party, um, some sort of uh, faction of the Libertarian Party or the Freedom Caucus, you know, not so much the rhinos. We just want personal freedom. We want less regulation. But of course, the left, they want to amp up regulation and pretend like that's freedom. And they also want to dabble in all sorts of different perks within the system. You know, whether it's government-run health care, welfare, whatever the case may be. All of these Medicare for All plans are being pushed by all the candidates. Just listen to Cory Booker with uh, Don Lemon on his town hall. All across our country, there are people struggling with the same issues with you. In a system that is the most expensive system on the planet Earth, we spend about 18 to 20 percent of our GDP on health care, and we still have folks that are struggling just to get by because our system... All that money we're spending doesn't go to patient care, doesn't go to support folks like you. This is a broken system and we must fix it. And so if I'm your president, I'm gonna make sure that we deal with this. Now the ideal in our country is that everyone should have access to healthcare. Healthcare is an American right. And the current system is definitely wrong. I believe the best way to get there is by, by having Medicare for all. But anybody who says that in politics, they, they need to get to some explaining because that's an ideal that we have to show a pathway to get there through practical things that aren't going to make people's situations worse, but help it get better. So here's some things that we can do in the first year, should I be your president. Number one, those drugs and those expenses that you're talking about, that is outrageous. Too many Americans put aside life-saving drugs because they can't afford them. We can drive those prices down doing common sense things that even Republicans talk about, but we're not getting done. Those are things like using Medicare's bargaining power to drive down costs. That means allowing, on a bill that I wrote with Senator Sanders and Senator Casey, allowing imports uh, from other countries safely. And I'll tell you what, we're going to drive down drug prices by doing what other countries do. They simply say that if you're going to have a drug in their country and raise the price in their country higher than others, there are going to be penalties for that. Well, if I'm President of the United States and you raise your drug prices, higher than is in other countries. We're going to have a definite penalty. We're going to take away your patent and let generics come in and undercut those prices. Bargaining power. The government will have bargaining power. The government has the heaviest hand of bargaining power. Who can compete with an organization who not only can operate at a perpetual loss because they have the deep pockets of forced revenue via taxes, but they can also force you into compliance. They can force you to sign up. And then imports, we're going to favor imports, foreign drugs that aren't subjected to market forces that distort the price and the cost of the prices for what they operate on and what they want to sell it for because of our overregulation in the United States. I mean, and then you're going to turn around and say, well, you know, if they try to charge more than some of these foreign competitors, we'll just take away their patents, let generics come in basically having government determine who can operate in an economic mar market. Yeah, that's a, that's a fantabulous idea. And Bernie Sanders goes on to talk about it, too. Why not sort of slide towards the system in an optional way? Because ultimately, we have to recognize that the current system is incredibly dysfunctional and wasteful. Its goal is to make profits for the insurance companies and the drug companies. You are not going to be able, in the long run, to have cost-effective universal health care unless you change the system, unless you get rid of the insurance companies, unless you stand up to the greed of the drug companies and lower prescription drug costs. That's the only way that you could provide quality care to all people. I look at health care, Chris, the same way as I look at public education, right. the same way I look at police protection, fire protection. All people get it regardless of their income. It is publicly funded. That is the most cost-effective way to provide health to all. Yeah, didn't we fix all this? You shoved through legislation that no one even read that basically said, you know, John Gruber basically said it was designed to fail and he laughed about it. It's unbelievable. 
But you act like this is still a problem. Obamacare was supposed to fix all this. Obamacare was supposed to make health care insurance available to all and cheaper for everybody. And guess what? Deductibles skyrocketed through the roof. Cost went through the roof. And for some reason, not everybody has health insurance. Amazing. And then Buttigieg goes on further to say that, you know, uh, you're not free because there's a veil of mistrust between you as a person of color and the officers who are sworn to keep you safe. You're not free if there is a veil of mistrust between you as a person of color and the officers who are sworn to keep you safe. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that. Trayvon Martin was a stand your ground issue with Neighborhood Security Watch. Of course, that was the white Hispanic guy because it couldn't have been a Hispanic guy that attacked a five, what, 10 year old kid going to get skid. Oh, he wasn't 10. He was like 18. But his picture on all the TV network news agencies and outlets made it look like he was 10. But he was going to get Skittles and apparently he was actually dealing drugs and he was doing something shady. And, you know, Zimmerman was keeping a watchful eye on him and he didn't like that. And so he attacked him and then a gun went off and stand your ground rule kicked in. And, you know, but let's talk about Michael Brown, who attacked a store clerk and then robbed him. And then when the police saw him walking and matched the description and they questioned him, he attacked the police officer, attempted to take his weapon, and then that weapon went off, which he was using in his defense against Michael Brown. But everybody said that he got, down, got him down on his hands and knees, told him to put his arms in the air and the hands up, don't shoot. And then they shot him and, you know, executed him in the middle of the street, which didn't happen. Is that what happened here? You know? In fact, the crazy part is, the media and the politicians, MSNBC's Al Sharpton were fueling riots in Ferguson and in Baltimore. NFL athletes like Colin Kaepernick were wearing pig socks, police pig socks, and they caused a wave of protesting of the national anthem in response to police brutality that isn't even prevalent. But they built the narrative to create this myth, which has led to the death of many police officers like those in New York. One being a mother who was about to switch hours in order to spend more summer months and summertime hours with her children. Even the president at that time said, well, the police acted stupidly when a professor was misidentified as an intruder after somebody called on the intruder. How about the fact that in, uh, in Chicago, police are not even upholding the law because of everything that's going on? Yeah, I think it's having an adverse effect. So what about Buttigieg talking about women's reproductive choices being dictated by male politicians in Washington? You're not free if your reproductive choices are being dictated by male politicians in Washington. You know, you are free to get an abortion in many states with minimal consent, even at the age of 17. You, you might even be able to vote if Pelosi gets that 16 vote in, in check. Some require one parent consent. Others uh, can utilize grandparents, maybe even adult siblings, step parents. They can even use the consent of a mental health professional. They also say that some can circumvent parental consent via court order. And in states like California, Hawaii, Maine, Montana, Nevada, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, Vermont, and Connecticut, no parental involvement is required. And most states have bans up to 22 and 24 weeks of pregnancy. That's around five months. Five out of the nine. Heartbeats are more in full effect at that point. And in New York, they tried to do it here in Virginia. They're trying to do it in Vermont. You can now even kill the baby if they survive an abortion and they're born. You don't even have to resuscitate them. And by the way, those aren't reproductive choices. You make those choices before the act of the reproductive cycle. So that's Mr. Buttigieg's party of freedom. Make no mistake, the reason why there's so much attention on Peter Buttigieg is because of the fact that he's gay. I mean, there's not much else you can pin on him. And he's Christian, too. They throw that in. That's a double whammy. But the intersectionality ranges aren't completely in alignment for ultimate victimization, maximization, adulation from the left. They can't just praise him because, oh, he's upper class, Midwestern, gay, Christian, but he's white. You know, identity politics is what this is all about. And they always want 
to have some sort of battering ram towards Christianity because they don't attack any other religion. It's only Christianity that they really want to mock and shame and and ridicule and make people self-conscious of. But they do so by employing a candidate such as this because they think that they can get somebody from flyover country who has Christian faith, who's white, so he identifies with those who didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, who may have voted for Obama, but yet voted for Trump this time around. But he's also gay, so he fit. He, he checks a couple intersectionality boxes off in the process. In fact, Slate had this article. Is Pete Buttigieg just another white male candidate, or does his gayness count as diversity? It's been two months since South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Peter Buttigieg announced the formation of his Presidential Exploratory Committee, and the national profile of his fledgling candidacy has has steadily risen. In the crowded Democratic field, the gay 37-year-old who entered the race with pretty much no name recognition claimed third place in a new Emerson poll of Iowa voters behind Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. The poll puts Buttigieg in the same class as candidates who trailed him only by a few points, including Senator Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, and Cory Booker, all of whom, unlike Buttigieg, have had federal office and benefit from years of national press coverage. Buttigieg's surprisingly strong performance in his poll and recent flurry of flattering pieces on his Episcopalian faith, political philosophy, and potential electability have combined to create a real sense of momentum for the man now known as Mayor Pete. But with momentum comes backlash, currently in the formation of frustration that the well-qualified female and black candidates in the race are getting shoved aside for another white guy. For instance, economist Alan Cole tweeted on Sunday that Buttigieg seems head and shoulders smarter than the other candidates running a charismatic response. This one from Jill Flipovovic was Warren, who taught at Harvard, was one of the most well-regarded law professors in the country and one of the most intelligent people to serve in the Senate. But we don't politically reward, let alone identify, that kind of fierce intelligence in a woman. But Buttigieg struggles with his own structural disadvantages in the race. Buttigieg is the first gay, gay candidate in history, film journalist Mark Harris tweeted on Monday. So no, you don't get to use him of all the candidates as the typical white guy the media always falls for. He doesn't deserve a free ride, but let me assure you, gay people in America aren't given free rides. So there it is. And in fact, AM to DM, the BuzzFeed News uh, morning show, they kind of opined a little bit on what it, what it would be like to be the first gay candidate or first gay president because they want to assume that James Buchanan, which I mean, James Buchanan, questionable past. He may have been, who knows? I mean, the guy had his buddy living in the White House. Either he was uh, an extremely flamboyant bachelor or uh, I don't know. But here's what he had to say about that entire incident. The Washington Post recently wrote that you actually wouldn't be the first gay president, that that would be James Buchanan. And I understand you said the first out president. But this seems like the sort of thing that you would have a point of view on as a sort of a bit of a nerd. What do, what do you think? Um, uh, it, it kind of sounds that way, but uh, my, my gaydar is not great to begin with, and it doesn't, definitely doesn't uh, work over uh, long stretches of time. So uh, I think we'll just have to let the historians figure that one out. Oh, I mean, I agree with you. My gaydar also does not always uh, pierce the time-space continuum, so I get it. Um, but <laughs> now, of course, whether or not James Buchanan was actually gay or not, we'll never know. I mean, again, the circumstances of the stories and the history are kind of eh, up in the air. But for Pete Buttigieg to be the first gay candidate or the first gay president, he's going to have to beat out Cory Booker. I'm just joking. I mean, we don't know Cory Booker's sexuality. Of course, there's a lot of speculation. He's not married. That doesn't really mean one way or the other. But we've heard stories. Esquire magazine had an article years and years ago. I want to say 2010 or something like that. Basically, 2012, maybe, where he had said something about, you know, he may have been on either side. And I don't really care. 
I don't care about who you're hooking up with in the bedroom. I don't care about what you do behind closed doors. That's your deal. But I do find it eh, a tad bit awkward and unconvincing when you listen to Cory Booker talking to Don Lemon about his new love interest. It doesn't really sound that uh, convincing to the average Joe. You would be the first uh, unmarried president in over 130 years. Um, what are the odds that we would see a wedding in the White House? Uh, <laughs> I, I am... Would you I guys am, like that? I am worried about where this is going. Is this CNN or TMZ? <laughs> it's CNN. You guys want to know, right? There you go. Um, they want to know. I, I have an incredible uh, girlfriend. Uh, she's just simply amazing. And I am hopeful as is my mother. Yeah. <laughs> and that is Rosaria Dawson. Yes. All right. So you get, you've been dating. You called her. You said recently that she'd be an incredible first lady. Well, I, I, I want you to know that let's not get ahead of us right now. She's a, <laughs> she, is an, she is an incredible girlfriend. I'm very lucky to be in a relationship with yeah. someone who is just so incredibly special, uh, but more importantly, has taught me so much in a very short period. Of time. I ask you because um, you've been very open about it, as, as has she. How did you guys meet? Um, we had uh, a meeting once at a political fundraiser for uh, Ben Jealous, who was running for governor. I was trying to help him out, but uh, she didn't give me the time of day. <laughs> uh, so we so, met again, and uh, I had one of those really awkward experiences. I'm a United States senator, and uh, <laughs> I had to get up the courage to walk up to her and ask her for her phone number. <laughs> um, and, and this is not, doesn't make me nervous, but that made me nervous. And, and she, gave, she gave me the phone number. All right, yeah. man. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 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 All right. I'm sure you would like to get back to the audience. I would like to get back to the policy, please. Yeah. Okay. Please. So we um, have CNN slash TMZ. Okay. No. I will give Cory Booker this. Um, CNN has become TMZ. He did get that right. TMZ, CNN, clickbait, whatever it is, after they've destroyed their credibility over two years of trying to destroy the president of the United States and pin some sort of Russian collusion on him that never happened. Yeah. They are TMZ. It's almost like Don Lemon said, Hey, um, Corey, uh, where did you meet your girlfriend? Uh, 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 I met her in Canada. Yeah, you wouldn't know her. You probably never met her. Yeah. Um, what, what name does she go by? Uh, you know, I, I mean, it's not really that convincing, but be that as it may, um, I don't think Cory Booker, I don't think Spartacus is going to be uh, the president. I, I, again, I think he is going to be more or less um, a Lindsey Graham in this whole uh, race, you know, for lack of a better, better comparison. But here's the thing. Buttigieg is the great battering ram for the left, and he finds a way to toe the line because he can carry the LGBT rainbow jihad flag you know, he can oil up and wear the crazy costume in the gay pride parade. But at the same time, I mean, he's a Christian. He believes in God. And so, and he's from the Midwest. So maybe he can be the culmination to bring these people across the aisle. And he's going to do so by supporting, in the face of the LGBTQ community, Chick-fil-A. Mm -hmm. What about Chick-fil-A? You like Chick-fil-A? I do not approve of their politics, but I, I kind of approve of their chicken. God damn it. <laughs> oh <laughs> you, my my kind of, you my kind of guy, man. <laughs> so maybe, maybe if nothing else, I can build that bridge. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'll become <laughs> in a position to broker that peace deal. Now, I will give Peter Buttigieg this, um, or Buttigieg. I, I've said his name probably four different ways. Uh, again, he is the most Google-searched candidate on top of Beto O'Rourke because people don't know how to, how to pronounce or even spell his last name. But Peter Buttigieg, I will give him this, and I don't know if it's – I don't know what the motivation is behind it, but I will say he is defending Chick-fil-A even though I think part of it could be that he's trying to make a pull for that Midwestern – that that – church-going crowd, even though he is then flying in the face of the LGBTQ community. I think the fact that it gets to the point where it's like, what are the solid things that are going to hold in your identity politic uh, garden? What's going to take root the most? 
well, I'm gay and I'm married, I'm gay, so you can't take gay away. So if I move a little bit towards the Christian side and say, hey, Chick-fil-A is okay, well, they take can't take my gayness card away because I'm married and I'm gay. So I, I guess that may be the motivation, but to his defense, he does support chicken sandwiches. He just doesn't like the, the political and the, uh, the, the values of Chick-fil-A on the other side. And in fact, uh, Free Beacon had this article where Buttigieg scolds sanctimonious virtue signaling protesters of Chick-fil-A. And he basically, in an interview um, with BuzzFeed News, said, um, if you're turned off as I am by the political behavior of Chick-fil-A and of their executives, and if that leaves a bad taste in your mouth, so to speak, and you decide not to shop there, I'd certainly get, get it and I'd support that, he said. But the reality is, we, I think, sometimes slip into sort of a virtue signaling in some cases where we're not really being consistent. I mean, what about all the other places we go to get our chicken from? Which we'll get into that here in a minute. If you really think that there's not this war on Chick-fil-A, then you've had your head in the sand. Because the left, it's funny what they pick. They don't go after Mozilla. You know, Mozilla ends up getting rid of their CEO because he may have donated to a a uh, pro-traditional uh, marriage ordinance. He wasn't for gay marriage, so they ousted him. So Mozilla is a company, they're okay, but a company that stands its ground like Chick-fil-A, no sale on that. I mean, it's not like they're putting Bible tracts in their combo meal bags. It's not like they're putting Jesus Christ action figures in their Happy Meals. It's not as though the Christian music that they do play in their restaurant a lot of times it's instrumental. Sometimes I'm in there and I'm going, I know this song, but there's no lyrics. so I can't identify it. And I find out later, oh, that's 10th Avenue North. I didn't know. <laughs> I mean, they don't blatantly have people praying in the front door, damning you to hell. It's a chicken sandwich place. It's clean. It's efficient. They're, they have the best customer service in the world. Their food is made very well. They go above and beyond to be courteous. That's why there was that story. I want to say it was either Slate, Salon, Vox. I don't know. One of those stupid hipster magazines, The New Yorker, The Atlantic, whatever the case may be. It was one of these articles in New York and how they were livid about how this Chick-fil-A has come into New York and has basically gone gangbusters. And it was people going out the door, lines out the door. And this guy's going in there. Oh, it's so gauche. This chicken sandwich from the Midwest infiltrated our, our, you know, upper west side New York hipster enclave. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, they knocked it for everything possible, including going to the corporate office. And I guess there was a statue in there, a biblical statue, and they made a big deal about that. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with having values behind what guides you in business. But to think that there's not some war on Chick-fil-A, as silly as it may be to cover this, San Antonio just kicked out the Chick-fil-A that was trying to open in the San Antonio International Airport. The council, city council, voted six to four against Chick-fil-A with one abs abstention from Councilwoman Rebecca Viergren. Opponents of Chick-fil-A cited its anti-LGBTQ reputation. The decision made headlines far outside of San, San Antonio, eliciting responses from people elected uh, and elected officials across the country. Now, for you to not think that that wasn't something that was politically motivated against their religious beliefs is pretty, pretty ridiculous because it's in San Antonio. This wasn't Austin. And then we get another story coming out. I think this one is from Salon. No, it's from Grubhub. 17 chicken sandwiches that are better than Chick-fil-A. And you go, huh, wonder why they picked Chick-fil-A. Here's how the article goes. A few years back, the chicken sandwich overlords at Chick-fil-A said they were done donating to anti-LGBTQ groups. This was welcome news to fans from the chain's food who did also love its food, but didn't also love its politics. Alas, a new report shows that as recently as 2017, the chain donated nearly $2 million to organizations with anti-LGBTQ stances. This is about chicken sandwiches, by the way. 
This is only made slimier by the fact that the chain itself said the donations were made to support causes focused on youth and education. So exactly what are they trying to teach America's youth? Well, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, one recipient of Chick-fil-A's generosity, is pretty transparent about its feelings. Neither heterosexual sex outside of marriage nor any homosexual act constitute an alternative lifestyle acceptable to God. Yikes. Though the chain is largely seen as Southern, New York City also happens to be home to the chain's largest location. Will the uproar affect the demand there or at other locations in New York City? Probably not, but you have no reason to go there. If you like the squishy bun and juicy chicken, you can find a better chicken sandwich all over New York. And they give you multiple examples of different chicken sandwiches, some of them really expensive. But that's New York. That's what these people do. They want to talk about freedom. Peter Goog, Goog, Peter Judabag, Gudabag, whatever, Peter Buttigieg. He wants to talk about freedom and the party of freedom. They don't even want you to have the freedom to dine in a restaurant that sells chicken sandwiches because of the fact that they may have donated to Christian beliefs. Take that to the bank. Who's in it for your freedom? I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning into the show. Listen to us on Mojo 50 Radio. You can find that on iHeartRadio or go to mojo50.com. Every Wednesday, 10 p.m., you can also listen to us on the weekends, Saturday, 5 p.m., Sunday morning, midnight, and Sunday at 5 p.m. Also, get the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart, Overcast, wherever podcasts are hosted, and be sure to give us a review. Give us a good five-star review that's going to help us go up in the ratings so we're more visible to others. You can also donate to the show. Go to patreon.com slash Adrian Slade Show. Give $2 a month or go to anchor.fm and search Adrian Slade. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Gab, MeWe, Parlor, Convo, Snippy. Search Adrian Slade. Follow us on Twitter at Rants Out Loud or at Adrian Slade Show, which is the official show page on Twitter. And you can also read the blog, adriansladeshow.com. You can also get the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel in your streaming store on the Roku streaming channel store. Be sure to download the Adrian Slade Show Roku channel. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.